so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. And that's a month long progress. That's a month. I can't speak. <laughs> that is a month long progress. <laughs> <laughs> it was happening to me last week. <laughs> oh, okay. Take 500. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and in the place of Brent this week, who is actually celebrating his 10th wedding anniversary, congratulations, Brent and Meredith, and then next week he will be on spring break, so I'm just a little jealous, but once again is Chelsea Sobolik, our fearless director of public policy. I am so glad to have her on. Welcome, Chelsea. Well, it is great to be back. And the girls are taking over once again. We are indeed. I uh, I need to fight for like a a third hosting spot on the podcast. I think you should. It would be great. And then you would help keep Brett in line. So he wouldn't be um, so so harsh with me and bickering. (laughs) However, I know we could go back and listen to past episodes and I'm just as guilty. But we are glad to have you kind of a mashup here of the ERLC podcast and the Capital Conversations podcast. So let's get started and talk about what the ERLC has been featuring this week. First up, we're going back to our Baptist Heritage series. You may remember if you listen to the podcast, we featured some of these. This is an article by Jake Stone, and it's titled, Why 21st Century Baptists Need 18th Century Baptists Like Isaac Backus." Three Areas in Ecclesiology Where Baptists Need Retrieval. So ecclesiology is your theology of the church, your view of the church. And I appreciate articles like these because I didn't grow up as a Southern Baptist. I kind of fell in, quote unquote, to the Baptist life. Of course, I know that was by God's sovereign design. So I am really not aware of a lot of Baptist history and heritage. It hasn't been ingrained in me. And that might be the case for some of you who are listening. So this is just another way for us to help educate one another about our Baptist heritage. Isaac Backus, whose lifespan was from 1724 to 1806, as Jake says, has been described as the preeminent champion of religious liberty in America since Roger Williams. We have an article in this Baptist heritage series about Roger Williams, so you can Google that or look on our website or I'll link to it in the show notes. But I wanted to read this paragraph from the article that just sums up Isaac Backus's contribution to Baptist history. Jake says, The church is the new covenant community made up of the regenerate who are then immersed and admitted into membership. A commitment to regenerate membership ensures robust evangelism and a desire for the purity of the church. 
Bacchus exemplified Baptist polity by arguing for the church's freedom from state control while maintaining a godly witness in the public square. In the 21st century, Baptists need their 18th century forebearers to remind us of the Baptist way. So these articles just, or this paragraph highlights Bacchus's commitment to regenerate church membership, so his commitment to believers' baptism, his commitment to robust evangelism and religious liberty. So we don't—the church can't coerce anyone to trust in Christ and to become a Christian. That has to happen by the Spirit's work through the preaching of the Word. And Bacchus argued for this. He championed for this. And so we need to remember his legacy in order to um, continue on in it. Next up is an article by Casey McCall about the war in Ukraine that we continually see before our eyes and our social media feeds. It's tragic. It's terrible. It's heartbreaking. And I, I bring it up and I emphasize it so that we can continue to pray. But Casey has an article titled, What the War in Ukraine is Teaching Us About Our Culture's Longing for Virtue. Zelensky, who's the president, and Courage on Display. And Casey says this, Cultivation of virtue depends on living pictures. And he goes back to highlight how during World War I, C.S. Lewis was giving radio broadcasts, which gave the meat for what turned into his book, Mere Christianity, which any of us can access or read if you listen to Libby, as Chelsea has talked about before, the online platform from through your library. You can listen to Mere Christianity, but he gave a series of radio broadcasts during World War I, and he highlighted the cardinal virtues. And so Casey is building on this and showing how President Zelensky is displaying one of these virtues, fortitude or courage, and how our culture longs for the displays of these virtues and how ultimately they're met in Christ. So he says, cultivation of virtue depends on living pictures. We need to see examples of virtue being lived so that we will have well-trod trails in the wilderness of our own experience to follow. Christian people have always understood this. We know that we can only love and learn how to love by looking to the God who is love. Christ himself said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How does Christ love us? Courageously, all the way to the cross and beyond. So our culture's longing for these things is because we're made in God's image and he's ingrained in us a desire to see these things because they are a picture of who our perfect God is. And they were shown to us in Christ when He came and tabernacled among us. And I would encourage you to go and read this article and see how what is so exemplified and extolled in President Zelensky during this dark hour is because it points us ultimately to Christ, our Savior. And then finally, it's interesting that Casey wrote this article on virtue because we have an article by Jordan Wooten, uh, one of our channel editors at the ERLC, titled, How Rebuilding Our Moral Infrastructure Can Prepare Us to Thrive in the Tech Age. And he actually highlights the cardinal virtues that Casey McCall mentions in his article. And then he highlights the fruit of the Spirit as elements of our moral infrastructure that have been torn down and have been destroyed in our social media age. And it's so evident in the way that we interact with one another. So Jordan says this, 
With technology advancing at such a dizzying pace, how can we keep up? How can we maintain our moral bearings when the tech world has cracked open so many new frontiers of possibility, so many gray areas, so many moral dilemmas? In short, we must rebuild what we've so casually let fall into disrepair, our moral infrastructure. I'd encourage you to go read his article to learn more about this moral infrastructure. But Jordan says that we need to rebuild it in these three ways, through our posture, humility, recognizing that we're sinners, that we are in need of God's grace and His help, His forgiveness for our sin. Prayer is another one that we need to cry out to God because we cannot reform ourselves. We cannot repair what's broken inside of us. We need uh, the Holy Spirit to do that. We need our sovereign God to do that. And then practice. We talk, as Christians talk about our, the spiritual disciplines, we need to practice these things that we preach, so to speak. We need to, even when we're not feeling them, put them into practice because we know it is obedience. We need to follow the narrow way that our God has called us to so we can live as Christians as salt and light in this dark age. And we're not going to do it if we are disregarding what God calls us to. And if we are um, blatantly adopting the practices of the world and being conformed to the culture that we're in. So it takes the power of the Spirit. But I think this is a good call from Jordan to evaluate our hearts and our minds and to see what we've let fall into disrepair. I love that article from Jordan. And I'll just say, uh, on a personal note, I will read everything that Jordan writes. He's such a good writer and he, he has is. such a good perspective on topics that, you know, can sometimes be stale sometimes. Um, and he brings such a, a fresh perspective. And this article in particular was very convicting to me because it's so easy for me to just either spend way too much time on social media and then. I'm in a bad mood or I have a bad attitude. And I really like that moral infrastructure framework he laid out. And it's a it's a good reminder to me to be aware and cautious of my social media use. Yeah, that's a good point, Chelsea. And I echo as far as Jordan's writing, and we're very thankful to have him serving with us. And that was a good reminder about social media. I set a goal myself this year at the beginning of the year to be on social media less. Of course, we find ourselves here in March, right? And I'm back to my old habits because I need... So easy. Uh, yes, I need practice. But even today, I was scrolling through and there is a dust up online about some things. And shocker. I, yeah, shocker. And I was <laughs> noticing Christians just going back and forth at one another, back and forth at one another, even making good points, but going back and forth. And it's, I see that as normal now. And it's so easy to fall into those temptations. And while technology is neutral, as our colleague Jason Thacker so often reminds us, you know, we're the bad actors, it also has been designed by people with an end in mind. So the technology is neutral, but the how we use it is not neutral, and the purpose for which it's designed is not neutral. And so we will get sucked in uh, if we do not have some kind of a plan in place and an awareness of what it can do to us and what it can bring out in us, as Jordan so aptly said. So Chelsea, you know, we have other 
big things going on that we're highlighting at the ERLC, as always leading up to the Mississippi abortion case. We are talking about life and other important issues, but I just wanted to highlight some other things that we're constantly talking about that we're trying to highlight that may not be at the forefront, except for the war in Ukraine, that may not be at the forefront of our minds, but are still important things for us to think through as Christians. So as I always mention, please go, listeners, go to our site, check out what we have going on. But for now, Chelsea, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Well, moving into our culture section this week, it is in Chelsea's capable hands. So Chelsea, what are you going to highlight for us this week? So the the biggest thing uh, going on in the world right now is Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine. So I'm going to kind of examine this from multiple different angles, and then we'll zoom down to, to some things that are happening here in Washington, D.C. So Starting off with some high-level talks between um, Russian, uh, the Russian foreign minister and the Ukrainian uh, foreign minister. They met in Turkey on Thursday. Um, they're ahead of us, so they met on Thursday to have some high-level discussions, and they were unable to reach an agreement on a ceasefire or even agree. Um, Russia did not even come to an agreement to allow Ukrainians in areas where Russia has been shelling these cities to escape these dire conditions. You know, originally Russia had guaranteed kind of these humanitarian corridors for people to escape, but then some of those corridors have actually been Russian targets. Um, So the Ukrainian foreign minister said that, quote, Russia is not in a position at this point to establish a ceasefire. They seek a surrender from Ukraine. This is not what they're going to get. Ukraine is strong. Ukraine is fighting. Kind of going back to that article with President Zelensky on how just their determination and resolve is, it's quite breathtaking, um, especially as, you know, Russia is not letting up their invasion of Ukraine. But one of the, one of the other things to highlight is the refugee crisis that this is creating. Uh, over 2.3 million Ukrainians have left Ukraine. And the UN High Commissioner for Refugees has called this the fastest growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. Um, And there's expected to be uh, more refugees who leave the war in Ukraine. And um, one really encouraging thing that I've been quite grateful for is neighboring countries in Eastern Europe and Central Europe have welcomed refugees. Poland, uh, being obviously closest, has welcomed over a million Ukrainian refugees Hungary, Romania, Moldova, also welcoming refugees. But it's important to remember that, you know, wars have a very human cost. And even as neighboring countries are welcoming refugees, the elderly and people with disabilities in Ukraine are finding themselves trapped, unable to flee. And even even fleeing is extraordinarily traumatic for children who will miss school and face great you know, physical risk of physical harm and certainly great emotional distress as well. And then women um, are also often disproportionately affected by conflict, um, and they're at greater risk of facing sexual violence. And many of the men are staying behind in Ukraine to help fight. Um, so it's women and children who are leaving and are uh, extraordinarily vulnerable so as as we're continuing to watch the refugee crisis unfold, you know, it's it's a good reminder 
for myself and for all of us to pray. And we've chatted about this on Slack a little bit, but just how extraordinary it is to watch a war play out on social media and to see these images in real time of people fleeing their homes with with suitcases and just walking to Hungary or walking to Poland. And it's just uh, extraordinary. I just saw a news report on the Today Show this morning about, I think they're calling it the mom broadcast or something like that, where these moms are, they think, doing their part in the war is to get right information out there. And so they are taking videos of what they're witnessing and many of them very graphic and just to show that this is the truth of what's going on. And so I thought that was amazing. As you mentioned, the high cost to women and children, it's also incredible, as we saw in World War II as well, to see how women step up to meet many of the needs when men are going off to war. And women have just been incredible. As we just celebrated International Women's Day, it's just incredible to see how God has gifted them and wired them to be able to care for these children, to be able to bear the brunt of so many things while husbands and brothers and fathers and others are off toward. It's just incredible. And you know, you were mentioning the resolve of the Ukrainian people. And I, people have been chattering about this, but I bet in years to come, there's going to be a movie made about this, uh, made about President Zelensky, made about the Ukrainian people. It's incredibly inspiring and amazing to watch. Um, The other thing that I wanted to mention was just in light of the refugees, it's staggering and we do need to be praying. And as Christians, we should have a heart for refugees. We should have a heart to remember that our Savior was a refugee fleeing for his life and protection when he was a little baby, his family. And these are some of the most vulnerable people that we should pray God's protection over and his care for. And another thing that stands out is how this area of the world has faced so much hardship and trauma. I just think about Poland, Poland welcoming refugees, and they know what it's like to be refugees in the midst of World War II. And they just experienced so much, so much heartache and brokenness in this world. And it just breaks my heart, like you said, to see it playing out in real time. And it's also important for us to remember that the world collectively is still dealing with the Afghan uh, refugee crisis. And certainly different parts of the world and those uh, refugees are are going to third-party countries elsewhere. But we are collectively still responding to that crisis. And now, you know, there is great need to pray for and serve refugees all, all around the world. And another thing um, I saw that was just incredibly heartwarming, I believe it was a train station in Poland where Polish women were leaving strollers for Ukrainian women. And it just, it brought me to tears. It was just so sweet to see this little quiet act of kindness to these women. And I just, you know, I, I keep putting myself in their shoes of what it would be like to just, it's unimaginable. And again, continue to pray. Another heavy thing, my my section is quite heavy today because it's uh, dealing with conflict and, and war, but this week, uh, Russian bombs struck two hospitals in Ukraine, and one of them was a children's uh, facility in uh, a city west of Kiev. There's no been no immediate reporting on 
the exact number of casualties. Um, but then another airstrike on Wednesday uh, devastated a maternity hospital in a port city. And there there were casualties in that one. And in that port city, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, uh, Mariupol, I believe is how you attempt to say it. It's it's a city of about four hundred and thirty thousand, and you know people are facing food and water and medical shortages, and the people of this city have not been able to safely flee through the the humanitarian corridors. And Ukrainian uh, President Zelensky has said uh, that the the Russian bombing of a children's hospital and a maternity ward constitutes uh, war crimes and proof that a genocide of Ukrainians is taking place. And our U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris has called for international war crimes investigations um, of Russia and how they're handling this investigation. So it will be interesting to, to see how that plays out. And then also this week, President Biden announced that the U.S. will ban all imports of Russian oil, natural gas, and coal in response to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, President Biden said that we will not be part of subsidizing President Putin's war. And certainly that will have um, economic costs here in the United States, uh, most notably at the gas station. In DC, I was I was driving last night and I saw a gas station for four ninety nine for the cheapest gas. Um, so oh, I need to go to Costco for my gas. But uh, multiple other businesses um, have announced that they will not do business in Russia, such as McDonald's, Coca Cola, Starbucks, uh, Hilton Hotels. So the the Western world really is responding quite quite strongly, and this is all in addition to the sanctions that the U.S. and the EU have applied to both Putin, the SWIFT banking system, Russian oligarchs, and others. Chelsea, I found this explainer on Axios that talks about why gas prices are so high. So I won't even try to give the rundown, but you can go and read it. It's very understandable, but it just talks about how we're energy independent, but the bans on the Russian oil exports from the U.S. and other countries will have a knockoff effect in world markets. So it just shows why gas prices are so high and what's going to happen and what could be done about it. But I was just saying to my mom this morning, it's hard to complain about it. Now, we have the resources to be able to pay for gas. So if I was in a different situation, it'd be really hard. It's hard to complain about it when you know what's happening over in Ukraine and the toll that's being taken on those civilians and and those lives and the really the small price that we have to pay for it. We can't drive to as many places, but I'm not fleeing for my life and worried about my children's lives, though it is still very hard. Absolutely. You're you're exactly right. Um, one, I'm going to end my Russia-Ukrainian section with a piece of good news and then talk about something that, that's happening here in Washington. Uh, so at the end of last week, the Biden administration granted temporary protective status for Ukrainians living here in the United States. So this means that they will be allowed to stay for 18 months and have work authorization. So they'll be able to stay here and work and, and won't be sent back to Ukraine in the midst of a war. So that's we are very thankful for that. And, and that was, you know, a very good step on the administration's part. And then here in Washington. 
Last night, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending package that uh, will fund the government through September. And it also included a $13 uh, billion um, emergency aid package to Ukraine for military and humanitarian aid. So Congress has passed a couple of short-term CRs or continuing resolutions that are basically stopgap measures. But in omnibus uh, will we'll finish up the appropriations process and fund the government through September. So it is almost time in, in Washington to begin the appropriations process for the next fiscal year. And that's a months-long process where committees will um, draft their bills and then they'll be marked up and it'll go through the, the regular order. But, but for now, uh, this large bill is over to the Senate and we will see how the, the Senate proceeds. They're expected to pass it, but anything can happen here in Washington. So uh, hopefully it passes soon and, and the government is funded. So Lindsay, that is your look at culture, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and and what's happening here in Washington. Well, thanks so much for that, Chelsea. And now it's time for the lunchroom where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Chelsea, what do you have for us at the lunch table today? So I have a show I just finished on Netflix called Inventing Anna. And it is eight or nine episodes Um, following the story of this girl, Anna Sorkin, who pretended to be a German heiress uh, named Anna Delvey. And she um, was was basically a glorified con artist living in New York City who was trying to start a business and almost secured a $40 million loan from these big banks in New York City. And uh, it was just so interesting. There's, There's not, I mean, I'll give the warning, go look it up. There wasn't much sexual content to, to be aware of. And I don't remember if there's a lot of language, but it was fascinating. Um, you know, the, the first couple episodes were just glamorous and, and showing her, her life in New York, but then it follows her and then the journalist who, who broke the story and their relationship. And it was just, it was fascinating. It was so interesting. And I mean, it makes you really wonder how this girl, she was 25, how this girl swindled so many people and almost secured a $40 million loan. It was quite interesting. It's crazy. The power of social media too and Instagram and what you can create on there. My husband and I watched the Dateline episode about that. So it was really fascinating. And then you can look up uh, some other... Uh, shows on Netflix that are like that, some con shows that are just mind-blowing how so these people, they must just be groomed, but it's mind-blowing how they can give so much money. It just is, it's just crazy. I don't, I mean, I guess they're, they're also really smart because I'm not sure I could pull that off. I know I couldn't. <laughs> oh my word, it's crazy. I know. So that was a fun, a fun one. This is not a con. You have told me about this, Chelsea, and I decided to use it for my lunchroom because I think it's terrifying and a sign that we surely are in the last days. <laughs> like this is this is a exodus level. But I'm reading from Axios: an invasive species of spider the size of a child's hand is expected to colonize, quote unquote, the entire East Coast this spring by parachuting down from the sky. This comes nope, from research nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. researchers at the University of Georgia. 
They're large Joro spiders, millions of them. And they can tolerate the cold weather, but are harmless to humans as their fangs are too small to break human skin, although they do have fangs. They began infiltrating the U.S. in 2013, this is saying. But let me just tell you, there's some pictures. The link will have some pictures for you if you like spiders, which I do not. Here are some other terrifying facts. Axio says, they're bright yellow, black, blue, and red and can grow up to three inches. Oh my word. It's just giving me the chills. Huge. That's a big spider. Ah! They uh, likely traveled across the globe on shipping containers, similar to the bubonic plague. Their life cycle begins in early spring, but they get big in June and are often seen in July and August. Oh my word, it's just so bad. They're named for, uh, of course, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, Jorogumo, a creature of Japanese folklore that can shapeshift into a woman or spider before killing its prey. So let's hope that these spiders don't shapeshift. <laughs> There's nothing to do that we can do, researchers say, and they are harmless. <laughs> This is just it's a likely story. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> DC had cicadas, as you pointed we out, did. and now these massive spiders are invading. So, like I said, I don't know what's next, but surely it is the end of the world. <laughs> I think this is God's sign to us that we need to move to the West Coast. So, oh man, but the West Coast has other crazy That's problems. True. <laughs> so, that's true. Great weather, but other crazy problems. I love, <laughs> I'm an East Coast girl. I love the East Coast, but <laughs> ooh, not spiders These like spiders that. These spiders are going to test your patience. Yes, they are. Oh, oh goodness. We were, I love Dateline, which makes me, I know, older than I am, but we were watching another episode the other day where there was this crime committed and they thought that it, the crime was committed by a 600-pound anaconda is a snake. What? This man was a snake breeder. Why is there a market, number one, for snakes, just for fun, number two, for a 600-pound anaconda? What? What? Why? So I have a snake story. And then... Oh, let's hear it. And we're probably losing people right we, now. I'm sure we are. But when I first moved to D.C., I lived in a house of their three girls, and one of my roommates had a pet snake. Oh, thankfully it was in another room, but the story happened before I moved into the house. Thank God. But the snake had escaped Oh, and they couldn't find it oh, for no. like 24 hours. And they did not tell me this until I'd lived with them for a long time, but the snake had escaped. And oh, if that had man. happened when I was there, I would have moved out, you know, I'm sure immediately. <laughs> yeah. My husband is terrified of snakes. He would not have moved in with a roommate who had snakes. No way. I can hold snakes. I would probably be able to hold a 600-pound anaconda. I don't think it would terrify me as long as I had someone there that knew what was going on. But still, I don't want one slithering over me in the middle of the night or Mm -mm. any point in time. So, oh man, if this hasn't creeped out all of our listeners, if you've made it to the end, congratulations, you win the prize. (laughs) And we hope that the end of this podcast episode has not, uh, will not be infiltrating your dreams, turning them into nightmares tonight. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. 
Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. In addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is a leading voice on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.